Welcome to this week's podcast from the Equipping Center. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob Biswell. All right, turning your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 17. We're uh, wrapping up a series uh, that we've been in for the past couple weeks, Accessing the Miraculous. And uh, so in this passage this morning, I'm going to kind of wrap it all up, tie it all together. Uh, And really, this has been in preparation for next week's services. Uh, My friend, Pastor Mark Wallace, will be with us along with his wife, Tammy. They'll be ministering in our Sunday morning service, uh, culminating in Sunday night uh, with a miracle service. And we are believing for miracles. And as Pastor Susanna said, Pastor Mark uh, did have COVID last year. Uh, and he was on the ventilator for 18 days, 18 days on the ventilator, given no hope, told he was in complete organ failure uh, there, you know, prepared to, to bury him. And God stepped into that room and uh, he came out of that and uh, came off the ventilator. He was the first person in Fresno, California, to come off the ventilator successfully. And uh, that is quite a miracle, especially, you know, we are grieving the loss of so many who have died on the ventilator. And that's been hard to reconcile, but God is good. And uh, I do ask this morning that you will keep a friend of our house, Apostle Patty Valenzuela uh, from El Paso. She was with us two years ago um, preaching. Her husband died unexpectedly yesterday and uh, went home to be with the Lord, 50 years old, um, and just, just unexpectedly has gone home to be with the Lord. And so if you'll keep their church in prayer, you know, he was the, the lead pastor there. And so they are a church without their pastor this morning. Uh, They canceled their services this week. Uh, But just a huge, unexpected happening. And uh, so please keep uh, Patty and her family in prayer uh, this morning. Completely unexpected. I got that uh, text from several pastor friends of mine yesterday uh, to to let me know that that had taken place. And so, you know, they they just need our covering in that we are believing for miracles. Amen. And, And we don't have to wait till next week to have miracles. Miracles happen every day. God is able anytime to reach into the natural with his supernatural grace. So 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, verse 17. And if you don't have your Bible this morning, it will be up on the screen. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times, cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now, by this, I know that you're a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning, and I thank you, Father, that it's alive. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's active. And I thank you, Father, that your word would go forth to accomplish what you send it to. Pray that when I pull my hands back this morning, God, it'd be your handprint that's left. 
Father, I recognize my complete and total dependence on you this morning. Apart from you, I can do nothing, but in you I live and move and have my being. And I thank you for the anointing that makes preaching easy this morning, that I might communicate your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Greg, if I could get a little bit more in the monitor, that would be awesome. Last week in our message, we talked about this woman. This is the woman whom Elijah had been sent to in the middle of a drought. Elijah had been sitting under a tree. The brook had dried up. And God says, get up, go to Zarephath. I have a woman there that I've prepared for you, a widow woman who will take care of you. And so that's where he was. God had provided for her. There was this great miracle. God had, had multiplied the, the flour and the oil and she had cakes galore and, and God was moving and everything was great. And then tragedy strikes. How many of you have ever been in that season where you feel like everything's on the right path? Everything's moving. You've got miracles flowing around your life. Good things are happening. And then all of a sudden, something takes the wind out of you. How many of you have ever been there? We've been there. And in this moment, she says to Elijah, what am I to do with you? Have you come to me to bring my son or bring my sin to remembrance and kill my son? That very miracle that you accomplished just a few verses earlier, you're going to wipe that away by my son dying. The thing that I held the most dear, the thing that I was preparing his last meal. When you showed up, I was preparing his last meal. You showed up, changed our lives, and now he's dead? What am I to do with you, Elijah? Grief hits the widow woman's heart. I mean, this is, this is a moment of grief for her. And, and there's this place of, of just victim mentality that word there says have you come to me to bring my sin that word sin is my depravity it's this idea she says i'm already a widow i've already gone through all this my husband's already died have you really come to now make me motherless or childless as well to take every hope of a future this is the son who's supposed to take care of me when i get older now i really have nothing elijah and the tragedy of this is one loses control of personal destiny as one surrenders to circumstances. This is what happens in our life when tragedy takes place is that we begin to surrender to tragedy. We begin to surrender to grief and we begin to take grief on as our identity. Now, it's hard for those on the receiving end of a person's blame shifting to respond appropriately because she doesn't blame anyone else but Elijah. She said, Elijah, it's your fault. If you had never shown up, at least we could have died together. How many of you know people like that? They're always blame shifting. They always have this victim mentality. Something's always wrong and it's always somebody else's fault. And they live their life under that. And when we encounter them, the, the real temptation is to set them right. Isn't that what we want to do? Listen here. You can blame me all day. You can tell me what I've done wrong, but you're the problem. That's our temptation because we don't want to take on someone else's problems. And sometimes it is necessary. Sometimes we have to have those heart-to-hearts with people. As a pastor, I feel like I have them all the time. Because self-deception can overtake a person's heart. And so she's struggling with grief, though. I mean, here her husband's died. Now her son has died. But there's also another response that may be appropriate, and that's to ignore them. And that's what Elijah does. He responds by ignoring the blame shifting. And he does something that we don't like to do. He takes responsibility for her problem. 
And it's here that a powerful principle, and this is what I want to talk about this morning, bringing life to dead things, takes place, is that Elijah simply owned the problem as his problem. He takes the problem away from her and brings that problem into the context of his own living. It says he takes the son and he takes him up to his own bedroom and he lays him on his own bed. I'm going to come back to that. Romans 12, I want you to turn there this morning because I think this is real important for the season that we're in. Romans 12, verse 10 says this, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligent, diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. The key that Elijah reveals in this area is that he takes on the widow's problem. He says, I'm not just going to leave you to grieve. I'm not just going to leave you alone. I'm not going to set you right. I'm going to identify with you in this moment and I'm going to pick up your dead son and I'm going to take your son. I'm going to lay him on my own bed. And it is at this level that miracles are accessed. It is at this level that miracles are accessed. Jesus, who was continually stirred by compassion, he saw the multitudes, he recognized their needs, his heart was stirred and miracles resulted. At that word compassion, it means a, a fervor was risen on the inside of Jesus. He's walking through crowds and it says he was stirred and moved with compassion. There was a fervor that arose on the inside of Jesus. And so often we are walking by dead things in people's lives and we're saying, I'm going to ignore that today. I've got my own dead things to deal with. Elijah is in a season where he's having to be provided for by a widow. He has his own dead things happening around him. He's released a prophetic word to an evil king saying for three years it will not rain. And now because of that prophetic word, there's no provision for Elijah except in the widow's house. He's having to eat cakes every day. And he's in this place. And he could have easily said, listen, woman, I'm not here for you. I'm only here because God told me to come here and I'm just going to continue on my way. I've got my own destiny to fulfill. I've got Ahab and Jezebel to think about. I've got all my own problems. I'm just staying here because God made me come to you. It's not what he does. He says, give me the boy. He takes on the issue as his own problem. And I think too often in life, we have needs around us that we are ignoring because we're so consumed with our own season. And so we don't access the miracles. Miracles are often within our reach to take from a person their need, meet it, and for them it is a miracle. And we become a channel of miracles to that person. Now for you, simple things may not seem like a miracle to you. Handing 20 bucks to the woman in front of you in the grocery store may not seem like a miracle to you. But I know for us, there have been many times where I've been in the grocery line thinking to myself, I don't know how I'm going to pay for these when I get up there. 
but I know that, that God's going to provide. I know there's been many times where I've been in the need of prayer and I've been contending before the Lord saying, God, I, I, I have a need and I know that you can meet it because in and of myself, I can't do it. And someone comes up and hands me a hundred bucks to that person. That's not a miracle. A hundred bucks is nothing to them. For me, it was a miracle. Sometimes I've had someone call me just to encourage me and I'm in a place where I needed encouragement. To me, that's a miracle. And I think sometimes we over or we underestimate the power of what miracles we can release by simply being aware of those around us. But we are, we are so self-consumed, especially in this season of time where everything is vaccine or no vaccine, mask or no mask, Republican or Democrat, black or white. All of this garbage that is going on, that has infiltrated the church, I don't care who the president is because the King of Kings is still on His throne. And yes, America is in trouble. And yes, America is in, is in dire need. But they're not... In dire need of a Republican. They are in dire need of a Savior. They're in dire need of a church who can stand and say, we can bring dead things to life. They're in dire need of a church who can rise up and say, I may not have what you need, but I serve a God who can step in in a moment. So I don't care if you're vaccinated or not vaccinated. What I care about is do you have the glory of God around your life? Do you have access to the miraculous? Can you lay hands on the sick and see them recovered? Whether they have a vaccine or not, they're both going to need a miracle. So stop the nonsense. Stop the focusing on what's happening in the political and get into the mind of the Lord and start releasing miracles into the earth. Hallelujah. Because you see, miracles are released when we are made aware of what others need. For me, I've experienced the miraculous hand of God in situations that have been overwhelming. And often I've taken up the needs of others and made them my own. When I was traveling quite a bit, I'd go into churches that had no revival. I'd go into churches that hadn't experienced a move of God. And I made it my responsibility that I would contend to see them step into their destiny. As your pastor, I am constantly asking the Lord, Lord, what can I do to see this church and these people reach their potential? How can I pray? Who do I need to call? Who can I encourage? Who do you want to speak to? Because we take it on as ownership. But here's the reality, church. I can't do it on my own. You're called to release miracles into people's lives. You're called to release encouragement into people's lives. You're called to bring dead things back to life. Hallelujah. So the principle here is identification with one another where we become, as it were, the hand of God to bring a miracle to another person. 1 Corinthians 12 and 7. I didn't give this one to you, Amber. But it says the manifestation is given to many for the profit of all. That word manifestation is a Greek word. It's a Greek word that's phanerosis. It's one of my favorite Greek words. I just like the sound of it. Phanerosis. It's fun. In its, its pictorial context, it's literally the hand of God. It says, the hand of God is given to many for the profit of everyone. John Wimber, a, a, a pioneer in the move of God back in the 80s in the, in the vineyard movement, he would say it's like the tributaries of a mighty river that flows amongst the people so that we all encounter the living God. 
See, the manifestation of God is given so that we might release the river of God. But we're all a tributary. We are all part of it. It is not about the one-man show or the, or the guy with the most anointing. All of us are called to release miracles. All of us are called to release the power of God into dead situations. And so it can be seen in many ways. Perhaps it's a mother who's desperate for help with preschoolers and you take up the need and meet it. Perhaps it's a businessman stumped as how to develop his business and you with the knowledge and experience freely give of your expertise. Maybe it's a student unable to grasp study skills and you as, as, a, as a fellow student get alongside of them and empower them to effectively study. You have gifts that can release miracles. You need to recognize that. You need to recognize that it's not about having power. It's about having connection. Because I'm connected to the source, I can take dead things and bring them back to life. And in each case, the recipient is receiving a miracle from God. In each case, someone chooses to identify with the need of another, takes that need into their arms and made it their own. See, the miraculous is more than a healing more than a financial breakthrough, more than a move of the Spirit. A miracle has occurred when a need is met that was a point of desperation for that person. I'm going to say that again this morning. A miracle has occurred when a need is met that was a point of desperation for a person. I think we often make miracles grand things. But miracles are when needs are met. When the neighbor needs groceries, that's a miracle for them. When the neighbor needs gas in their car, that's a miracle for them. When the neighbor needs a food handler certificate that's 15 bucks, that's a miracle for them. It doesn't matter how big or how small for a person in need, that's a miracle. Look back at verse 20 in 1 Kings 17. It says, then he cried out to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, my God. Have you brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? Then he did something that has always perplexed me. I've always wondered about this verse. It says, and he stretched himself out on the child three times. Now, I'm not going to make anyone do this one with me. But he, he laid himself out over the child. And I thought, God, why in the heck would Elijah get on top of the child and stretch out. And I was asking the Lord, I'm saying, Lord, what is this about? So the other night, I'm sitting there in the the rocking chair in our bedroom, and I'm reading this. I think it was the rocking chair. I was sitting somewhere in our bedroom. And I'm reading this, and I'm saying, God, this really perplexes me. What is this about? He said, well, look up the word stretch. So I look up the word stretch in the Hebrew, and it means to overshadow. And I went, oh, oh, I got goosebumps. I said, Lord, okay, I love it when God does this. Okay, tell, tell me more, God. Overshadow. And I began to think back to Genesis 1. It says the Spirit of God was hovering. That word means overshadowing. The Spirit of God was overshadowing that which was a void. What was this child in this moment? He was void of life. He was without breath. And the Holy Spirit began to overshadow. When we get to the New Testament, it says that the Holy Spirit 
overshadowed Mary and brought life to her womb. There was a dead place happening. And when we get to Acts chapter 2, it says the Holy Spirit descended on them and overshadowed them with tongues of fire. When when we get to, to the cross, Jesus was stretched out. Out. It was a type and shadow of Jesus being stretched out over dead humanity and bringing life to dead things. Elijah stretched himself out. He was foreshadowing what was to come. That while there was a dead thing in that bedroom, that Jesus would one day come and he'd stretch himself out over humanity and bring life to your dead situations. He'd take us out of sin and bring us into life. The Holy Spirit wants you to know this morning that you can stretch out over dead things because Jesus did it for you. It was a type and shadow of what was to come. And some of you need to begin to stretch out over some dead things in your life and begin to overshadow them with the presence of God. And it says he cried out, Oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul, let this dead thing come to life. What does it say? Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. You know, that's the only time it says that about Elijah. All through Elijah's story, we read, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. But in this moment, the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And I want you to take this as a promise this morning. When you begin to stretch out over those dead things, the Lord will hear your voice. The Bible declares we have an advocate who intercedes at the right hand of the Father daily on our behalf. Jesus, the great mediator, is waiting to hear your voice to bring life to your dead things. Hallelujah. Alongside of this is another principle empowering the issue of identification. When we do reach out to meet the need of another, there is a special Grace flowing from the throne of God to hear and answer our prayers. There is a strong link all throughout Scripture between answered prayer and meeting the need of another. We see it all throughout Scripture. And here there is a strong understanding in a believer's heart which is important regarding their life mission. See, I love, I love the gospel and I love this part of the gospel. The gospel has a self-centered aspect in the sense that our sins are forgiven. God heals us. God begins to meet the needs in our lives. And what we have experienced now needs to be communicated to those who have not had the privilege of entering into what we've received. It's not all about us, folks. I'm thankful God saved me. I'm thankful that God rescued me. I'm thankful that God's healed me. But I am selfish if I keep it to myself. And listen, this is not driven by a sense of obligation. I hate the idea that people say, well, I have to be a witness for Christ. That it just shows how self-centered we are. Because I should be driven by a love for others to see them get their miracle even while I wait for my own miracle. Some of you have been waiting years for your miracle. And I'm believing with you I'm contending with you for your miracles. But don't just wait around for your miracle. Let others see miracles through you. It is recognizing the needs in people and responding to those needs by sharing the answers that are found in Christ. Let's get real practical for a moment. You're talking with a coworker. They begin to share about all the stuff in their life. You could say something like this. Have you ever considered praying about it? 
Real simple. It's not, you need to get saved, you're going to hell, and you're full of sin. It doesn't work. It does not work. What does that do? It automatically puts up a wall. You say something like this. You know what? I know what you're going through. I have found a great deal of help in my relationship with God. Or something like this. I know of people personally who've been healed by God of the very condition you're suffering with. You make it personal. You don't put that, that distance by saying, well, you just need to turn to God because you're a sinner. You're just going to hell in a handbasket. Turn or burn. We don't have to convert people the very moment we get the opportunity. I think we have so had this drilled into our head that we need to get them saved the first time we talk to them. Some plant, some water, the Lord reaps the harvest. I have friends today that for 17 years I am still sowing seeds into their life, believing that someday they will get saved. But I know if I said to them today, hey, are you ready to turn? They'd be like, no. But I I have a friend who sent me a text a while back and said, this person has been a devout atheist most of their life. I might be praying for you. I might be praying for you. To me, that's a sign. That is a sign. The person who said God isn't real and said you just live in a fairy tale world said I might be praying for you. I responded and I said, are your feet starting to burn a little? I can joke with this person like that. And they said, yes, but apparently you can pray from hell. It's a sign. 17 years I've been sowing into this person, believing for this person's salvation, believing that someday this person will turn. But I don't have to convert someone the first time I meet them. I think we have this this weird Western mindset that, that has been so... Listen, I love how Billy Graham operated. I'm not Billy Graham. I don't need to give the Romans road every time I talk to somebody. But I can testify of my life, of how God has intervened. And I can say things like, have you ever thought about praying about it? You know, I've found a great deal of help when I pray about things. And before you realize it, because you've shared the grace of God and you're letting God do His work in their lives, you've become a channel for God's grace and miraculous power to flow through another person. There is a vision that I have burning in my heart that we, the church, become life givers to a dying world. You know, since 9-11 was yesterday, 20 years have passed since that fateful moment in our country. I've, I've, I've done a lot of research over the years. I've, I've got a master's degree in theology with a focus on cults and world religion. I've, I've always been fascinated by other beliefs. Firmly held in, in my own in Jesus. I, I know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, so don't get worried, okay? But I, I, I studied a lot, and I, and I have always asked this question, what is it that would drive a person to do what they would do in the name of religion? Here we have this, this false religion who would blow themselves up in the name of their God, and we can't even get Christians to pray for people. And I quickly discovered that in the West we've been presented a viewpoint of Islam that is completely false. 
you know, it's this idea that they want peace and harmony and yes, among themselves. But for everyone else, we're pagans. Pastor Jacob, why are you bringing this up? I bring this up because it's important to note that we have the answer. But it will not be found in practicing the way they do. We think that we have to become these extremists who go out and make public spectacles of ourselves to get people to turn. It's not working for them. It's not going to work for us. We have true peace. We have true harmony with the Father. We have everything they're actually looking for, but we're afraid to share it. We're afraid to be real. And Elijah does something that is awesome. And for me, is a symbolic gesture of what God would have all of us to do. He presents life in a situation of death. And we see Elijah in Elijah, a dramatic outworking of that. Literally, a dead person is brought to life. And yet we have the same opportunity to do the same thing. Whether in the natural, I've seen people raised from the dead. But more often than not, it's taking dead people who are dead on the inside and giving them life and bringing them to life and bringing resurrection power to their life. And we have the opportunity to do that. We are called to be life givers. I know it's God who does that. Let me make that clear. But I think we've often used that as an excuse. Well, God's the one who does the miracles. Yes, but He uses us. He chose to use us. God in His infinite omnipotence, omniscience, all those omni words could shout from His throne, Hey, I'm God. Jesus is the way. All of humanity, turn. He doesn't do that. He says, I'm going to use earthenware vessels. And I'm going to cause people, and unlikely people, to tell people of who I am. People who are in right relationship with me will be instruments of my goodness. And I think we need to make that shift as I close this morning. We need to remind ourselves when in our workplace, when with our family and friends, that we carry the message of life. Verse 24 says this, Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this. She'd already had a miracle. She'd already had a miracle. And we're going to take communion this morning. Amber, as I close, if you could put some music on. Now by this, I know that you're a man of God. And the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. The first miracle that this woman had had experienced was a temporary miracle. Elijah said to her, when the rain comes, this miracle will end. So for her, that wasn't the evidence that he was a true man of God. What the true evidence was, was when it hit home. My son had died. Now he's been brought back to life. Those temporary miracles are miracles. Those will matter to people. But where the miracles really matter is when it hits home. It's when it transforms a family. When those who, who weren't sure all of a sudden become sure of God's goodness. 
when it transforms their family life. That's what God is seeking to do. And we have that opportunity, church, to be life givers in dead situations. We're going to take communion this morning as a demonstration that we believe in the covenant that Jesus made with us, that dead things can come to life. But before we do that this morning, communion in Scripture is reserved for those who follow Jesus. So this morning, I don't want anyone to feel left out, but I want to make it clear, if you've not made a decision for Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do so. But if you're not following Christ this morning, I do ask that you abstain from communion because it's reserved from those who are following Him. But this morning, Ephesians 2 says that God is a God rich in mercy. You might feel dead this morning and you need life. And I want to give you that opportunity to make a decision to allow Jesus to become your life. It's real simple. We've got to confess our sin. What is sin? Sin separates us from God. It's the things that have created distance between God and us. We confess it and we repent. Repentance is not just saying, God, I'm sorry. It's turning. It means to have a change of thinking. It's a, another fun Greek word, metanoia. Love that word. It means to have a change of thinking. This morning, you've got to change your mind about your sin. You've got to say, I'm not going to live that way anymore. And you're going to choose to follow Jesus. So if that's you this morning, if you've never changed your mind about your sin, you want to do that this morning. We're going to pray in just a moment. If you're watching by live stream this morning, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I'm inviting you to do that right now. If that's you this morning, I want you to slip up your hand if you're praying this for the first time, the first time in a long time. We're going to pray this prayer. Church is going to pray with you. Many of us in this room, we've already made that decision, but we're going to pray with you this morning. We're going to join you in that journey. Let's pray. Jesus, I confess that I've sinned and I'm sorry for that. Today I choose to leave my sin behind and follow you. Jesus, bring life to my dead situations. I follow you today. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or visit www.equippingcenter.us.